The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. All right, Psalm 103. Um, really, this morning's theme is the heart of worship. The heart of worship. I know I said that in July we would be starting with 1 John, but uh, if you experience the same July that I did, then um, you'll give me some grace and allow us to start next week, Lord willing. Uh, That's why James warns us. He says, don't say you'll do this or that, but if it's the Lord's will. Um, And so I do believe that this morning, it's the Lord's will for us to come to Psalm 103. That it's the Lord's will for us to have a right understanding of worship. Now this past month, we spoke about hope, for the discouraged, um, we, we spoke about the assurance um, of true hope, right? We also spoke about the security, our security as believers in a troubling world. Uh, if, you, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to these sermons or even just read through them, please take the time. Um, because in them, a lot of truth about our situation, about who we are and about who God is, is discussed, and I do believe that is something that is hopeful for us. Now, it has been a, a while since I myself actually preached through a psalm here at CBC. Our brother Chris preached um, Psalm 1 not too long ago. But we come this morning to Psalm, 100, uh, psalm 103. Yes, Psalm 103. Now, next to Psalm 23, the most amount of hymns have been inspired by these verses. In fact, after our message, we'll sing one of the songs that has been inspired by these verses. Psalm 103 is pure praise. It's it's pure worship focused on Yahweh, the unspeakable name of God, the I Am. That is worship. Now really... I've personally enjoyed my approach and meditation on the psalm because, number one, there is no mention of a historical background, not like in any of the other psalms that tell us what inspired the words, what was happening contextually, historically. There's no historical background. There's no mention of enemies. There's no threats, there are no requests, there are no complaints, there's no petitions. This psalm is a single focus on God and worshipping Him. Why? Because that's the truth of worship. Worship should never just be circumstantial. Something good happens, oh, praise God. Why should something first take place? Why should there be some form of circumstance for us to worship God? Friends, this is a simple psalm, but it's so profound. It's a song of worship to God. This psalm is a call to worship. And there's a really simple outline should be on the screen just in a moment. There's a personal call, an outward call, and a universal call 
to worship. So I want to, I want to read for us um, all 22 verses, and we're going to dive into this this morning, all right? Uh, praise the Lord, it's not Psalm 119, uh, it's just short of Psalm 119. But I read for us, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteous, righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to, to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What a, what a passage of, of reflection to come to this. And really I want us to deal with the personal call first off. The personal call from verse 1 through 5. <clears throat> I want to say corporate worship. This is us being gathered and singing together, loving one another, serving one another. Corporate worship cannot exist without personal worship. I'll say it again. Us gathering here together with the intention to worship God cannot truly happen if you are personally worshipping the Lord. If you personally have a relationship with Him. If you personally make the sacrifices and are with Him in His presence. I want to explain. By definition, we studied this two years ago. I can't believe it. By definition, 
To worship God means to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That everything you do glorifies Him. That's worship. He said, but I just served someone. I just served someone because they needed something and I know that's an act of love. It's a requirement that God has for me as a believer. My dear friend, that's worship. But we didn't sing anything. It's worship. You're loving the Lord your God. That's worship. By definition, to worship also not just means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, but to love thy neighbor as thyself. If there is no loving your fellow man, what does John tell us in 1 John? Then you cannot say the love of God is in you. That's quite heavy, isn't it? But that's the reality. That's the truth of worship. So when this doesn't exist on a personal level, if you're not loving neighbor as thyself, if you are not loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, don't expect that when you're gathered in a setting such as this, that all of a sudden your heart changes and now your motives are pure. Because why weren't they this morning? Why weren't they on Saturday? Why weren't they on Friday? Why weren't they on Thursday? Why won't they be tomorrow? There's a personal call in the first five verses. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within you. It says, me. Bless the Lord, all my soul, with all that is in, within me. It starts with me. It starts with my heart. It starts with my mind, my soul, my strength. Am I kneeling before Him? Am I sacrificing before Him? If this doesn't exist on a personal level, then every other attempt is hypocritical, it is superficial. The reason is it's, it doesn't flow from the heart. Masaka, hold up. Pump the brakes. The Lord knows my heart. He does. He does. What does Jeremiah tell us about the heart? It's desperately wicked. It is sick. Ezekiel tells us that God changes the heart. So if there's no heart transplant, if the heart of stone hasn't been removed, you have a dead heart. There's no worship flowing from the heart. Because truly worship flows from the heart. So if your life is untidy with disobedience and sin and wickedness, then you're really going to find it hard to cry out in your soul to worship the Lord. I'm not saying you can't do that. I say it's going to be very difficult. Because it's from the soul, it's from the heart, where the deep knowledge of God and a, and a love for what is holy and pure, that's where it comes from. It comes from the inner man. I want to say this, that singing praises isn't it. That's not worship. It's part of worship. But it isn't it. 
If just singing the two songs, that was worship, then we're done here. We can wrap it up. Go have cake. It's very enjoyable. But worship goes beyond singing praises. Personal worship is to reflect on God, to reflect on His character, to reflect on the salvation that He has given us. That's worship. Now you can sit in a room and sing, I exalt you for seven minutes long. But if it's not doing anything to your heart, it means nothing. Friends, that's why, and I want to say this from the pulpit, that's why we sing hymns and songs that tell us about who God is, that tell us about what He's done. Because we need to be reminded who He is, what He's done for us, who we are. We shouldn't just be hearing the gospel, but we can sing it, we can proclaim it. True worship is to love the Lord your God, to reflect upon Him. Now, doesn't God's Word call us to be worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth? Amen? You worship in spirit and in truth. This means that we worship Him, or we ought to worship Him, without any external experience or without any external assistance friends i want us to be gracious when i share this with you many folks have come to me and say i can't really worship without clapping i can't worship without raising my hands i can't worship unless the lights are dimmed i used to believe this too let's dim the lights let's set the mood What does that mean? Let's set the mood. Friends, if the Spirit of God is not in your heart, then dimming lights isn't going to change that. Bring the drums, bring the piano. Sure, it's nice. But those things aren't worship. True worship is when you find yourself, right? And this, I'm sure some, you, you can all relate to this, right? You find yourself throughout the day, you're busy with something, um, quite, you're focused on just this one thing, everything around you is kind of just passing by. But in your heart, you're singing a song of praise. Of course, does that, but just out loud. <laughs> Doesn't sing inwardly, sings it out loud. Many of you might be doing that, right? Friends, that's worship. That's a heart that is so deep set on reflecting on God's goodness that you just find yourself singing this hymn and you think to yourself, hmm, what brought this up? What led me to this? What I can say is the reason songs play such an encouraging role is because when the heart reaches out to worship, it wants the right words, isn't it? You want the right words to express your praise, to express your thanksgiving. And so many songs express just the right words that your heart is longing to express. That's the reason 
That's the reason. It's not the other way around. It's not singing songs which is worship and everything comes below. No, no, no. Everything and singing our songs just accommodates it. Now, sure, it's beautiful when we get to sing these songs that really expresses what we want to express. We just couldn't. Amen? It's beautiful. But friends, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. Our passage says, Bless the Lord. Or, we can interpret, Worship the Lord. It's all about Him. No one else. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Now check this out, right? It says, Bless the Lord. How? With all that's within me. So what should we understand about this? Bless the Lord. Not partially, but with all that is within me. Not half-heartedly, but with all that is within me. That's the loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not based on anything like something circumstantial happening or something special happening. The psalmist simply wrote these words by meditating on God. He's not trying to recall something that happened in his life. He's not trying to recall the day he was saved. He's looking at God and expressing God. How he perceives him, how he longs for him, how he understands him. He meditates on his glory. He meditates on God's grace. And where does it come from? The heart. A heart that anticipates, a heart that appreciates who God is and therefore gives thanks. Our psalmist further writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Now what are these benefits? It could be every grace he's given you. It could be every mercy that He's given you. Every time He has provided for you. Every bit of protection. Every bit of kindness. Every expression of love. Forget not His benefits. That's His grace. Now part of us worshipping God is to consider His benefits and give thanks. When we forget this, or when we don't consider this, it's sinful. It's sinful. It, it, it's to take for granted God's hand of provision. It's to slap away the hand. Do you get that? It's when a parent reaches out and a child slaps away the hand. That's what we're doing when we aren't mindful, when we don't consider this truth. Isaiah 43 says the first thing when considering God's benefits is that He forgets our sin. That is an amazing benefit. He forgets your sin. He forgives us our sins. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. 
What a grace. I mean, in our human relationships, we struggle to, to forgive the hurt that we've um, received, the hurt that's been done towards us. The psalmist says, God forgives your sins. Isaiah 43 says, He forgets them. I, I struggle with that. You want to know why? God knows all things. All things. From the beginning to the future and everything in between, He knows, he knows all things. Are you with me? Yet, He chooses not to remember what we've done. Amazing. I mean, it should blow our minds. He chooses not even to consider them. What a grace. So consider His benefits. Verse 3b, in addition, it says, He heals all your diseases. Now this is where we want to put in, you know, our physical ailments. Ah, oh, but I've got arthritis. I've got this. I've got COVID. I'm still recovering. This doesn't refer to physical diseases. And people get upset when we share this interpretation. What's the first thing he's talking about in verse 3? Forgiving your iniquities. What's the next thing? It says it heals all your diseases. What diseases? Let me take you to Isaiah 53 verse 5. You can turn there or, or you can go there. It tells us that Christ was pierced for our transgressions, right? For our sins, Christ was pierced. And He was crushed for our iniquities. Yet through His sacrifice, we are saved. Amen? Are you with me? It's through the sacrifice of Christ that we can be saved. Yes? Great, that's the gospel. But it says... With his wounds we are healed. Or by his wounds we are healed. The wounds that paid the price for our salvation. Are you with me? I'm going to repeat it all. The wounds that paid the price for our salvation. By these wounds we are healed. Amen? From what? Diseases. Yes. Does it say physical ailments? It's the diseases of the soul. It's like saying... It's so hard to come up with an illustration on the spot. He's talking about healing our spiritual diseases, our sins, right? So he says twice, the Lord forgives all our iniquities and heals all the diseases of the soul. The effects that sin has on us, we're healed from that. There is no longer any condemnation before God. There's no longer any consequence on the soul of man because we are healed by His wounds. What wounds? The wounds that made it able for Him to pay the price. Because if we are to be physically healed from our ailments because He died on the cross, 
then how are we saved? But Him going to the cross is for our salvation, not our ailments. Jesus doesn't pay the penalty on the cross so that we can have a healed ankle. Because the effect of what Christ done on the cross is eternal. Amen? Once we are saved by His grace, what happens? We're saved, right? It cannot be taken back. Now, if that sacrifice can save the soul from the wrath of God, and if it's meant to bring about our physical healing, why doesn't it bring about physical healing, yet it saves the soul? Because they're not talking about physical healing. They're talking, or the psalmist is talking about our salvation, about healing the pains of our soul. Friends, I'm, 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 I'm saddened to say yet this is the reality of the gospel, of God's word, that there is no promise that we will be physically healed on this earth. What does Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say when they're thrown into the furnace? God will heal us. But if He does not, we will still praise Him. Why, do, why the interjection? There isn't necessarily that assurance that we will be physically healed on the earth. Why is that? Because the body still will perish. We are not our bodies. And besides, we're going to receive a new glorified one like Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the hope of our salvation. So, sorry, that was a bit of a, a rabbit, uh, going down a rabbit hole here. But we come back to verse 4. It says in verse 3, He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all the diseases of the soul. How? Verse 4. He redeems your life from the pit. Again, he's not talking about physical ailments, but our salvation. Psalm 49 verse 15. Write that down. You can go back to it later. Psalm 49 15. I'm paraphrasing. It says, God redeems the soul from the power of the grave. God redeems the soul from the power of the grave. And so to add to his benefits, we continue to read that he crowns us with loving kindness. It's a kind of love that, that cannot be broken. He says, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Man, that's amazing. That despite how I feel, despite what I physically go through, He loves me with a love that cannot be broken. He loves me with a love that is committed. He loves me with what we can call covenantal love. Now, does God break His covenant? No. That is His benefit. And so the result of these things, the result of that love is the acts of compassion. That He is gracious. He gives us peace. He is merciful to us. 
regardless of what we experience. Verse 5 says, He also satisfies your years with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. This is what it means to be satisfied by God. I mean, Isaiah 40 says, We will mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. We will walk and not grow faint. He satisfies us with goodness. Amen? Now, this goodness can refer to physical prosperity. This goodness can refer to healing of our ailments, and so forth. Alright? First portion, salvation. Verse 5, He satisfies our years with goodness. So, we need to be thankful that God, number one, forgives us, that God, number two, gives us or brings spiritual healing, that God gives us salvation, that God resurrects us from the grave where we were intended to go, and for crowning our lives with a committed love and compassion. That's the personal call. That's what the psalmist says when, when I praise Him with all that is within me, I can consider that He has saved me, that He is spiritually healing me, that He has forgiven me, that He will not disregard my life, and that He blesses me with an eternal love. Thus, He satisfies us with everything good. Bringing us to the outward call, and we'll go a bit faster here. The outward call from verse 6 through 18. I'm not going to read this whole portion again, but I am going to be jumping to these, these, these verses as um, we approach them. So, from a personal call comes the outward call. This is what brings us to a Sunday gathering. This is what brings us to a Wednesday night Bible study where we're praying and singing together. This is what brings us to a youth group on a Friday. This is what brings us to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday. From the outflow of this personal call, there is an outward call to all people. The psalmist moves from speaking to his own heart to what God do does for everyone who comes to him. See, God has revealed His redeeming purpose. God has revealed His nature. God has revealed His judgments. And now verse 6 tells us that God provides righteousness for those who are captives to sin. Man, that is a glory. He provides us with the righteousness. Let me read it for us. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, God gives us righteousness, those who are captive to sin, right? That and brings us <clears throat> to salvation. But isn't God meant to judge the sinner? Some smiling, some frowning. Amen. Right? What does the Bible tell us? The sinner needs to be, what? Judged. Why? Because God is a just God. This is the riddle of the Old Testament, right? How can, a, how can God provide compassion and righteousness to sinners and still be just? 
I mean, his justice means he will punish sinners. We go back to Isaiah 53. That's the answer. The answer is God can give mercy. God can give grace. God can give forgiveness because he punished Christ in our place. That's how he can do that. Did he punish sin? Yes. Did he punish the sinner? Yes. Who? Christ. He who knew no sin. Wow. So he is a just God, yes? How just is he? He is so just that he put his own son in your place, in my place. That's justice. But because of that justice, he can now be gracious and merciful and compassionate to whomever he is merciful, gracious and compassionate. That's the redemptive plan. Because God is compassionate and he is gracious. Our verse says he is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And that's the reason we can collectively worship him. Because He has made the way. He has made it possible. Verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Friends, God will not keep a grudge against His own. Because He promises to forgive. He promises to be gracious. He promises to be merciful. God will not always be angry with us. Why? Because there's no longer any condemnation. Look at verse 10. It says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Are you with me on that? I mean, that's reason enough for me to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Because if God had to deal with our sins, where would we be? Come on, man. It's a theology of worship. <laughs> in hell. If God deals with us according to our sin, we would be in hell. But He hasn't done that because He has put our sins and our iniquities on Christ. He dealt with our sins in Christ. John Calvin said, He wonderfully blesses those He might justly destroy. He has every right to get rid of us, but instead He blesses us. That's mercy. You say, Is God merciful? Yes. He saves the sinner. Verse 11 reminds us that there isn't any limit to the extension of His grace. That He loves us with this committed love. Again in verse 12 we read, As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. Now that is a line, okay? It goes in that direction, it goes in that direction, and there's no end to that line. How far is the east to, to the west? If you go around the world, you're just going to keep going around the world, right? But if we're to measure its extent, 
I believe it's something like, I don't know, 290 trillion years that you have to travel to get to the end of the universe, apparently. Which I believe there's no end to. Amazing! I mean, this analogy just should give us hope. We studied Micah on Friday. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 through 19 says, Who is a pardoning God like you? Who is a forgiving God like you? Man, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Now let's look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So he loves us the way that he loves us because he's our father. Because the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, those who truly worship Him. I mean, that's amazing. It's so intimate, yes? It's hard because you might be caught in an ma imagination that God is so far away. We haven't seen Him. He's so far off. Yet He says, I'm a compassionate Father. And what does a compassionate Father do? He comes. He takes, He leads, He cares, He nurtures. He's with us. That's the intimacy. He knows the weakness of our will. He knows the strong impulses we have towards sin. And so verse 15 says, We're just like grass, like a flower of the field. That Yes, we flourish, but when the wind passes over, it's gone. Its place acknowledges it no longer. What does this tell us? We're fragile. We're fragile. We are, you know that vase, perhaps you grew up, your mom had this vase. You just stood so far away from this vase because it looks like just winking at it, it might break. We're fragile like that. And the opposite is, God is infinite. He is beyond the limits of the East and the West. He's not like us. And this is why He says, He extends to us loving kindness that is from everlasting to everlasting. Man. It means there was never a moment in God's mind that he didn't love his own. It's, it's parental in the sense that he loved us before we even were. That his love is protective, that his love is constant, and that his love will never change. Remember, this is an outward call. He's telling everyone of these things. So, who does he love then? Verse 18, those who worship Him, keeping His covenant and remembering His law. That's the outward call. That is a call to bring true worshippers in union before God. To collectively sing praises and give thanks. To 
remind one another of his works and promises that there would be a togetherness right there's a third call and this is really brief from verse 19 the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all bless the Lord O you his angels you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word bless the Lord all his hosts his ministers who do his will bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion bless the Lord O my soul so we've seen a personal call we've seen an outward call but now there's this universal call it's not just for all to come and worship God but it's a call for all things universally that will glorify God our verses tell us that the Lord's throne is the greatest right that his power rules over all now to the Hebrew to the Jew what was the most powerful throne King David the psalmist tells us this throne is so much mightier so much greater and since he's over all the psalmist says bless the Lord you his angels there's a universal call you his angels come worship the Lord they're part of this all okay and what can be known about the angels is that they are strong they are obedient they serve him they're always before him worshiping him amen their voices are never silent giving him praise when was the last time you read through revelation the angels come before the throne and what do they do they sing they worship holy god these mighty beings they come and they give him praise go ahead to verse 21 he says bless the lord all you his hosts what does that mean his hosts deuteronomy 4 verse 19 you can make a note it tells us that all the hosts of heaven are the sun the moon the stars so the psalmist is literally calling on all the created universe even the lifeless elements of it to praise the Lord you the work of his creation praise him so all creation is called to praise him because firstly praise is internal it's external meaning it's outward as we gather but praise is also universal and therefore the writer begin or ends with how he started how did he start he said bless the Lord O my soul which is a way of saying let it begin with me let it begin with me let's start here it starts with me and there's an outflow of this and universally one day all will bow the knee all will bless his name the question is are we going to bless his name now 
Friends, I want to ask, what needs to happen for you in order to be obedient? Or to, in order to be obedient to your worship of such a merciful and gracious, just and loving God? What has to happen? I want to encourage you. The psalmist doesn't give us any circumstantial event that gave him the reason to come and write these words and to be in worship. He did it because it starts in the heart. He simply meditated on God. He filled his mind with the truths and promises of God. And that's where he gave thanks. That's where his worship started. I think, friends, we need to take a step back. And we have to rethink our approach of worshipping God. Are we... Are we always going to wait for something to drive us to Him? Or are we going to come to Him willingly and freely to love Him who loves us perfectly? Who loves us continuously? Who loves us eternally? What needs to happen? I'll tell you. Repentance. Repentance. I think we need to lay down the hardness of our hearts, the stubbornness of our minds. We can't wait around for something to, to happen and now we feel good and we want to give thanks. God is good to us all the time. All the time. You say, but how is God good and how is God loving when there's tragedy? Dear friends, He's especially loving and good in that tragedy. The writer of Hebrews says that he is our sympathetic high priest. He's the only one that truly understands what we're feeling, what we're going through. You call your friends, oh, come encourage me. That sounds like Job's counsel. Just this, like, please, shush, let me go before the Lord. So let's go before the Lord. Let's prepare our hearts. I want to ask the stewards, um, Chris and Fonsale, you can hand out the, the cups and we'll take communion together and then we'll continue worshipping in song. So let me pray for us and then our brothers will come around.